So, okay. So Justine, did you get a chance to do the Enneagram thing? I did. I did. Oh. did? I, I did. And I am squarely a one, which I mean, we already figured huh. that out, right? We did? Interesting. So now, okay. So do you identify as a one? Did it, it resonate? I mean, well, based, yes. So like based on all of them, I would consider myself a one, but I, I wonder, so like, are these things fixed or are they real? <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, you know, okay, I'm, just saying, perfect, I'm just that's saying. That's a perfect way of like, okay, I'm a one. Wait, because. Who rigged this game? <laughs> because, because I'm like, okay. So I am, I feel like I am in a stage of my life where I'm a one. Mm-hmm. Right? So I wonder when I'm 60 and I have grandkids, will I you'll still be, be a one? You'll, you'll be a one who's 60 with grandchildren. Okay. Got okay, it. So, so it's fixed. That answer yeah, yeah. my question. Hold up, yeah. hold up. So break it down. <laughs> So you're the resident Enneagram expert. So <laughs> yeah. you got to break down <laughs> right. exactly what a one is. Oh man. So if we've got, and um, I read if, through I, it I too. if we've got listeners who hear it, well, a one and eh, well, okay. What, what the heck is all that? Do you want me to read what I have here? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, well, yeah. So I found this from enneagraminstitute.com. Type one in brief. Ones are conscientious and ethical with a strong sense of right and wrong. They are teachers, crusaders, and advocates for change, always striving to improve things, but afraid of making a mistake. Justine. Uh (laughs) Well-organized, orderly, and fastidious. They try to maintain high standards, but but can slip into being critical and perfectionistic. They typically have problems with resentment and impatience. Oh my God. <laughs> At their best, they are wise, discerning, realistic, and noble. Ha! They can be morally heroic. Their basic fear of being corrupt, evil, or defective. Their basic desire is to be good, to have integrity, and to be balanced. So the way it was describing me is like Enneagram is there's nine ways to see in the world. So mm-hmm. nine worldviews, mm-hmm. if you will. Okay. Mm-hmm. Something happened in childhood. Then goes, goes back to childhood. Something happened in childhood. And your answer for what happened became that personality type. Ah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is not innate? No. It, yeah. It's, it's, well, maybe. It's, it's both nature and nurture. So, so on the one hand. Uh-huh. But okay, more nature than nurture. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is like your, 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 let's say your God given temperamental bent, so to speak. Okay. Good word. Okay. okay. So the way that you're bent is to see the word in this, or to see, see the world in this way or this way. Yeah. Versus seeing it in this way or this way. So like for me, I'm, I, I'm an eight, which is like the, and, and Andres can break this down more, mm. but the, uh, but the eight is more of like, the justice kind of person and, and, you know, like there, there's a lot of teacher in, in an eight, mm-hmm. you know, um, eight is all about what's, what's just, what's right, what's fair. And, and the whole idea about righteous anger is more embodied in eights. There's, yes. you know, like this, this is wrong. It, this has to be fixed. This, this ain't just, just ain't right. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to stand up and, you know, I, I'm going to keep fighting until this is this injustice is done right. Yeah. 
So one of the questions that I get a lot from people, either directly or indirectly, is some version of, what are you mad about? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, right. All right. So, Andres, you're what? So the five, um, we like learning. Uh, we are secretive. We are uh, isolated. We're characterized as uh, 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 introverts, but that's just in the sense of that we need to retreat to our quiet space just to get energy back. Not that we don't like people. I had, I thought I would maybe two, three years ago, I would say, oh, I just don't think I like people. And it's not that. It's just that I need to be by myself to regain energy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, we like to learn, like learning is a thing, but we're constantly wanting to learn. So the deficiency is that <clears throat> there's, um, there are three areas where, in which in the Enneagram, your people are recessive. Uh, so there's thinking, feeling, and doing, okay? Um, and for me, it's in the doing. So I'm doing repress, meaning that I can think about something all day without getting it done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds crazy. Now that sounds crazy to somebody like Abdul <laughs> who goes from thinking, okay, let's do it. Yes. Yeah. Let's just get into action. And, 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 and then for my, and my wife is that way too. Yeah. You know, she's that way too. Well, and, and, and for my temperament, so like, like, let's say one type might be, um, thinking and then doing very fast and, and, and it can be perceived as ready, fire, aim. Right. So for like, if you're like the Enneagram seven, it truly is ready, fire, aim. Well, I shot before I thought about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so for eights, it's ready, aim, fire, but, but our, like the, the way that we process through that stuff is so quickly, it's so yeah. quick that it feels like we're not aiming, but we're right. aiming with a, with a pretty good amount of precision. Mm-hmm. And I get stuck in aiming. <laughs> He's like, ready? <laughs> aim. Is it, is it really? Aim. Like, aim. 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 Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while Black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kinney. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. So welcome back, soldiers. Thanks again for joining us in our virtual living room. Um, if you are new to the podcast, welcome to you as well. And we hope you enjoy it and derive some value from it. If you're joining us for the first time, we'd love to give you a very brief description of who we are. You can actually find that in our uh, episode zero, but so that you don't have to go back and listen to that right now, we hope you do. We want to give you just a basic brief overview of who we are as people. So, uh, Justine, how about you give a really quick um, introduction of who you are and how people can find you on social media? Hey, everyone. I'm Justine. Some people know me by Tina. I live in the cornfields of Iowa. 
I was born and raised in Kenya. I spent about two years in Minnesota and I've lived in Iowa for the rest of my American life. You can find me on social, specifically on Facebook under the name Tina Akinyi. That is T-I-N-A. Then my last name, A for Africa, K for Kenya, I for India, N for Nigeria, Y for yellow, I for India. Boom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm Andres Amador, like I said. I'm a Pisces. I love taking long walks on the beach, and I want nothing more than world peace. <laughs> um, look, um, <clears throat> seriously, um, I was thinking about this question, actually, of course, as an Enneagram 5. Which <laughs> but really, um, what I'm, what I'm def- desperately after is wanting to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus. Um, and I don't say that like in a corny way or anywhere like that, um, because I haven't done that. I haven't done that well, even as a self-described Christian. So uh, my journey is about trying to remove all the things that don't matter in life anymore. Uh, maybe that's probably as a function of age. Uh, I've paid the bills as a computer programmer, developer. I'm married. And between us, we have four kids, two older kids. One of them's an upperclassman in college. The other one's an upperclassman in high school. Then we have two little ones who are not even in high school or not even in kindergarten. <laughs> so um, I love being at home. Uh, I really do like spending time here. On social, um, I am um, Amador Life, A-M-A-D-O-R-L-I-F-E on Instagram and Andres Underbar Amador on Twitter. I want to step my game up in those platforms, so I'd much rather connect with you there before we go to the cesspool that's facebook nowadays <laughs> wow so uh so that's what, <laughs> so that's me all right you call it a cesspool that's cold oh so everyone my name is abdullah Have you once seen again. facebook lately yeah it's it's kind of off the chain it's, it's yeah it's goofy it's lord of the flies in there all right everyone once again my name is abdullah and I'm probably best described as a wearer of many hats. So uh, some of those hats include um, private and public sector executive. I'm a freelancer, an entrepreneur. I'm a community activist, a musician, a Bible teacher, um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion workshop facilitator, and a consultant. Um, I'm also, by training, by way of training academically, I'm a political scientist. So I study implicit racial bias and political behavior and their impact on political institutions and public policy. Um, I am, I am married. Uh, have, we have four kids, uh, two adult, two in high school. And my wife and I, you know, we're, we're married interracially. So we'll talk a lot about that and some of the things and how that how we interact with that in the whole living while black conversation. So, and you can find me on the social medias, uh, IG and Twitter specifically at that dude Dulla. So D A T D U D E D U L L A H. And as always, you can find all of our social media information and links um, in the show notes for each episode. So once again, welcome. So here we are in our third and final installment for now of our series on decolonizing your theology. So the next track on the mixtape, Justine, what's the next track on the mixtape? So this was a hard one, um, but we ultimately settled with a song, Flawless by Beyonce. 
And I want to read just a quick piece of this because there's a part, is, for some of you know Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, which is an author, entrepreneur. She's just an awesome woman from Nigeria. And she, in this song, like she has a part of it. Blah, 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 words, sorry, y'all. Anyway, Chimamanda gives a speech in this song and I want to read it. And here's how it goes. We teach girls to shrink themselves, to make themselves smaller. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Because I am female, I am expected to aspire to marriage. I am expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. Now, marriage can be a source of joy and love and mutual support. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage? And we don't teach boys the same. We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. We teach girls that they cannot be sexual beings in the way that boys are. Feminist, the person who believes in the social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. And so, you know, I just, I feel like that little portion of the song fits well into the whole idea of toxic patriarchy and toxic masculinity, both in the church and society in general. And we're going to dive more into what that means. But I, I just felt like that verse works really well with what we're going to be tackling today. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's working the ribs already. <laughs> already. Yeah. Oh. This episode, this episode is going to be, this episode is going to be the mic drop. Absolutely. And, and okay, I got to do the ex explanatory comma. For those of you who don't know, mic drop is the act of intentionally dropping one's <laughs> microphone at the end of a speech or performance, displaying a bold confidence that it has been very impressive or cannot be topped. Okay, back to the show. Uh, um, get down. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, that's, that, that was insane. So, okay, so soldiers, you ready? Yes. So this is, in case you haven't figured it out yet, listeners, this is the decolonizing your patriarchy episode. So part three, part three, this is, this is, Ooh, I'm ready. Let's get it. So listeners, as we begin to have this conversation about toxic patriarchy in the church, um, I just want you to know that this will be, it won't be a two part episode for this, but it will be a longer episode. Um, so I just want you to kind of stick in because I'm pretty sure what's going to happen is we're going to get to get in this conversation and there'll be so many things and so many different facets of this diamond that we won't, we won't want to edit out. And so we want you to hear the full conversation. So um, what will follow will very likely be the full, relatively unedited conversation. Awesome, y'all. So you know what? We're just going to dive right in. And I think the first thing that we need to define is what toxic patriarchy is. In a quick segue, I just want to mention this real quick. When we were talking about decolonizing our, decolonizing toxic whiteness, was that a thing? Y'all, why am I so off today? When we were talking <laughs> about toxic whiteness, we asked ourselves, can whiteness ever not be toxic? So yeah, as we're having that. this conversation, I yeah. think we should be asking ourselves, can we have a patriarchy system or culture that is healthy 
and not toxic. And, and I'm going to see what Abdul and Andres think about this later on. So before I give my definition of toxic patriarchy in the church, I first of all want to clarify that throughout the Bible, we see that women are esteemed by God right? I think it's necessary for us to have that foundation. And in the New Testament, in a culture that was replete with the shaming of women, Jesus made a point of honoring and uplifting them, right? So Jesus was always trying to to be countercultural, right? Because he was trying to rewrite the different ways in which women had been viewed as inferior and objectified as well. So we see that women are prolific leaders. They are prophets. They are apostles. They're mothers. They're teachers. And they are intrinsic carriers of the story that God has been writing and is continuing to write. Women lead armies and they defeated prominent enemies. For example, Deborah. They saved communities from genocide. Queen Esther did this. They helped fund the ministry of Christ. Mary Magdalene. Joanna, who was the wife of Chusa and Susanna, helped fund the ministry of Christ. They sat at his feet as disciples, and they were ultimately the first to discover that he had risen. So again, the reason I want to give this background is because we are talking about toxic patriarchy within the confines of the church. And I think we always want to go back to what the Bible says about women, because that should inform what we say about women now and how we treat them in the church. Now, in today's spaces, though, we see that women have been reduced and that they have been erased of their power to liberate, lead, um, and teach, right? And a lot of times, women are actually erased from God's story. And there seems to be an expectation that women are to be seen and not heard, This is sometimes evident in the ministries that are given to women, right? So a lot of my women friends are typically told, hey, you can be on the welcome team. You can be a greeter. You can serve on the kids ministry, right? While a lot of the men are given kind of like the higher up ministerial positions and positions of leadership, I think we need to ask ourselves why this is the case, right? Um, And the assumed and theologized inferiority of women often reduces them to objects for men's use in a culture that insists on purity, waiting on your husband, chasteness, submission, humility, and long-suffering. Women are minimized into submissive sidekicks or servants who are granted participation in the church at the whim of male leadership, but rarely, if ever, power. Yeah, I think we're done. Yeah, we're good. Thanks Thanks for listening, everybody. On that note, we're out. The Christian Soldier Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, wow. Okay. So you, Justine, just made my head hurt, my eyeballs sweat, my heart leap, Mm -hmm. and everything. I am, I am just to be completely real, I am feeling so many different emotions for the way you broke that down. And right. yeah, that was that that uh, that was just amazing and inspired. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. For yes, that. definitely. Thank you. And you know, it's it's. I mean, I don't expect anything less from you, Justine. I mean, right. you, uh, first of all, as a woman, of course, your perspective is is going to see a lot of stuff that us as men 
would be blind spots. So definitely mm. uh, appreciate that. Agreed. Um, so, so patriarchy, um, I mean, yes, yeah, you know, the system of system of society or government in which the father or the elders, eldest male is the head of the family. And then the descent is traced through the male line. Right. So my last name came from my dad. Abdul, your last name came from your dad. Yeah. You know, your children's names have you, your name, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, my, so my wife even, you know, she, she's hyphenated her, her name, but she also mm-hmm. adopted my last name. Yeah. So it's my wife. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so my, my question and, and had to do something with, with what you were talking about, Justine, you know, is, is that inherently bad? Is patriarchy. And I was thinking the same question that you were talking because yeah. when we talk about toxic whiteness, we all agreed whiteness is inherently toxic. Mm-hmm. But then is patriarchy inherently toxic? Uh, so before we go there, okay, so you defined what, how you would define patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so here, uh, well, that's the, that, that dictionary definition of patriarchy. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, and I would, I would, I guess I would just briefly say something similar is that what, um, you know, as a, as a present day social system. And I, so I would, I would separate patriarchy from a society being patrilineal versus matrilineal. To me, those are two different things. Okay. Yeah. So, so, okay. So, so, so that's, that's where the divide, that's where the toxic part comes in. Cause yes. I'm, yes. Cause that's, I'm saying that patriarchy from a societal, it's not necessarily bad. I, my, when I'm thinking about it, we just chose, we just chose that system. We could yeah. have easily chosen another system. Yeah. So and, and still be, and still be good. Yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. So, so I would say, Patriarchy, yes. Patriarchy is inherently bad. It's inherently evil. It's inherently wicked. It's inherently sinful. For society to be patrilineal, I don't think are those things. So now, so I would, I would okay, describe. That's what you're yeah, so I would describe patriarchy again using kind of dictionary definitions and things that I've heard from you know stuff I've women I've listened to classes I've taken that mm-hmm. kind of thing is um, it's it's an unjust social system that. That what it subordinates, it dom, it discriminates, and is oppressive to women. Mm-hmm. And, so we're going to use patriarchy in the negative. We are going to yes. say patriarchy is yes. toxic, basically. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. to get to yes. the end, we'll, you know, but listen to the middle part because it's important. Yes, but okay. So just just so all of us can be can be clear. Okay. Yeah, right. So then, so then, patriarchy, for example, in effect, it values um, masculinity over femininity, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. then it sets up this 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 false dichotomy between um, dominance versus submission of you know dominance of men, submission of women, you know all this stuff that Justine laid out. Right. Um, right. And obviously, then also with kind of the highest goal for women in society is to be married and to raise children. And then beyond that, right? Any not much value, right? So any value that women have is seen as a bit of an asterisk to that primary goal. Yeah. So then, right. yes, p- patriarchy itself. So that being patriarchy, that is inherently right. Nah. No, to- totally agree. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, w- I won't belabor the point of uh, 
Because I was going to say, you know, is, is it inherently bad that our family have our last names as opposed to our wives? You know what I mean? So, uh-huh. but, but uh, I, think you, I think you made that point. And for the, for the purposes of this discussion, 100% agree um, mm-hmm. on, on what patriarchy is. Justine, you were going to say something? Yeah. Yes. You know, I also think when we think about toxic patriarchy in the church, we need to remember that a lot of times it is not seen as an incidental thing, you know, versus we're like in the world, it's like, oh, this is just a system that we chose. I think in a lot of Christian spaces, patriarchy is viewed as a God-given directive. Like this is how God oh, said yes. it. It is. Yeah. That's not yes. that it is, but that's the sentiment that, yeah, it's, yeah. it's this whole fascination, I think, with in at least in in Western thought and Western Christian mm-hmm. thought of the idea of the this deep desire for hierarchy and order. Mm-hmm. Now there is hierarchy in the kingdom of God. Okay, right? Yeah, there is. But we have we have you know, and and that's not what we're talking about here. The toxic part of this patriarchy is that that order includes. Men about women. Yeah. And it also includes, and then this whole podcast is the whole idea that white men are at mm. the top of the mm-hmm. patriarchy, at, at, at the top of the patriarchy. Yeah. At the top of the system is yeah. white men. Yes. Yeah. And right. that that is God ordained. Yes. Not just that, exactly. that then if we keep talking about hierarchy, is that the United States of America is on top. Mm-hmm. Of everybody, mm-hmm. yeah, and and that also is God ordained, exactly. And I have no idea where that. Well, I have an idea where that came from, but right. it's not in the scripture. I can't yeah. find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to make real quick, just um, is like this whole mas- masculinity thing and the need that it, that we need. Uh, strong and courageous and and i kind of alluded this to part two uh, when we're talking about the word meek mm-hmm. um it's just it's it's really um bothersome how we've added stuff to scripture that just just wasn't there um in in researching this i i came across an uh, an article where it was in where they were talking to uh uh, Robert Jeffries, who uh, leads the First Baptist Church in Dallas. This is from 2016. And he was talking about Donald Trump. Okay. But, and this is not about the politics, but this is how a pastor was referring to a political candidate. He was saying, when I'm looking for a leader who's going to fight ISIS and keep this nation secure, I don't want some meek and mild leader or somebody who's going to turn the other cheek. I've said, I want the meanest, toughest SOB I can find to protect this nation. That's a pastor yeah, talking about not wanting someone who turns the other cheek, which is a teaching from Jesus. <laughs> and okay, so I want to just say this and then get back to our, our patriarchy conversation because yeah. that kind of comment then... What it should say is he wants someone who's going to protect whiteness because every single time you have a person of color who is a not turn the other cheek person, 
and and who comes who comes at who comes at say whiteness in the same way that he wants someone to defend America, oh, we're shut down. Right, right. It's it's like right. it's it's we're not only not only are those folks shut down, they are often executed, like they're assassinated, like mm-hmm. they're they're mm-hmm. either politically, socially, or actually murdered. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. So anyway, but, let's, but I, let's one going. more thing on, on that is I think we all participate in that. I know we're going to talk about how to not participate in this because imagine this. Okay. Let's imagine that all of us met a guy, you know, just some guy like, Hey, you know, we start talking and whatnot. And then we start describing this guy to all of us like, Hey, you know, I met a guy, uh, you know, and, and he's cool and everything, but, but, you know, he's gentle. And he's kind, uh, and he, like Jeffries was saying, he turns the other cheek and he's not vengeful. You know, somebody does him wrong and, you know, he just, he just doesn't, re- doesn't return evil with evil. Uh, yeah, you're right. We call that, what would call, would that, guy we call that guy? Yeah. We would call that guy weak. We would call that guy yeah, soft. You're right. You're right. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, our wives, you know, nudges in the middle of the night, if they hear a noise. They're expecting us to go, <laughs> they're expecting us to yeah. go downstairs or whatever. You know what I mean? Babe, so, babe, I heard something. <laughs> <laughs> you, go, you, go. <laughs> you know, so it's just, it's just, uh, it's just inter- interesting yeah. that we have to really pay attention to how we participate uh, because it, we enable it, not intending to, of course. Mm-hmm. But we do play. It's it's so ingrained in us. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, so I know we're going to get into um, in a minute examples of 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 toxic patriarchy or just of patriarchy, since we've identified that it's inherently toxic in the church. Um, but Justine, you said something that that I'd love for you to kind of unpack a little bit. You said um, you mentioned the phrase the assumed and theologized view of women. Like that's a really powerful statement. So I'd love for you to kind of unpack that if you would. Yeah. So again, we know that a lot of times, a lot of times in the church, people tend to take the Bible out of context in a lot of ways. Right. But I think specifically when it comes to women, women are either erased or like verses pertaining women are kind of painted in a way that is that is honestly not accurate right so even when we talk about oh my gosh like there seems to be an obsession with the samaritan woman i mean it's great you know you know like it's awesome and like we need to talk about that but like the whole insistent that oh you know she had however many husbands you know and she was sexually immoral you know like this constantly the need and the insistence on painting women in a very in a very specific light instead of giving the full story you know like giving the full story and the full context of what different women across the course of the history of the bible have done right so that's i think that's kind of what i was pointing towards and i think again you know and someone might talk about this later on i don't know but i think a lot of times specifically in the church there is this whole idea that um okay so i'm 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 going to make this personal as a single woman there is this insistence justine 
You need to be getting ready for your husband. You know, what does that look like? You need to buy a house, get your credit score in order, pay off your loans, do all these things because that's going to make you significantly more attractive. And I'm thinking, you know, like I really could just do all these things because it's beneficial for me to do them. You know, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I really, you know, seriously, I'm like, I really could maybe like pay off my loans because it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. (laughs) Not because it has anything to do with a man, you know? And um, so again, like I just, I just feel like a lot of times, and this is not across the board. I think some churches are doing a very good job of honoring and edifying women. But I think in some Christian spaces, there is this whole idea that everything that women do should be for a man, you know, preparation for marriage, preparation to have kids. And I'm thinking, so what happens when you get married and you have kids? Then is your life over? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not. You know, it's like there's so much more to women than this little box that we have put women in. And a, a good point that I think this. Mm-hmm. So, so this is not just a thing that men are, um, you know, are propagating. I think women are very guilty. And I'm going to give just one example. Women, if you are in a Bible study or a book study and all the books you're reading are books about marriage, mm, you might want yes. to have a conversation with your leaders. Yes. Because your primary relationship should be your relationship with God. Now, am I saying that we should not prepare women to get married? That is not what I'm saying, y'all. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there are so many facets and so many layers to womanhood than marriage and bearing children. There's your career. There is ministry. There's your calling. There's your purpose. There's self-care. There's rest. There's friendships and relationships. There is just so much. There's so much. And somebody questioned the career part. Yes, they might. Well, yeah. un- unless, okay, so, so then, yeah, like, like to the Bible study example, right? We're, we're talking about like the whole idea of, so the, the-, the theological term is complementarianism, mm-hmm. uh. right? So, <laughs> so as a, um, as a reformed recovering evangelical from the reformed church tradition, you know, I would, I would hear the whole thing about complementarianism and the whole like Genesis thing about God making a helper suitable for, for Adam. Right. And read that like, well, that's what the text says and so forth and so on. Now. Yeah. We're not going to make this a Bible study episode, but it doesn't say that at all. Right. So it it's, it's better, it's better transliterated as I will make a partner suitable, yeah. Not, yeah. Not, not, not a helper as here's the dominant and here's some, some underling to come along and help. It's, right. it's a, it's here is, so just like, just like there are the, the, the different pairs and orders of other, other things in creation, there needs to be a likewise companion partner slash co-equal right. To man, so God says, "Let me make a helper suitable for that." So that's what that right. So so yeah, I, I think about that, and um, God, I forgot, I forgot where I was going with that. But but just thinking about yeah, just that whole idea of of what we have done to women and that whole complementarian thing has just been really really atrocious. So yeah, so that whole helper uh, translation hasn't been beneficial. I don't think it's been uh, useful. 
because uh, think about it this way. When we're saying that somebody's helping you, at the very least, they got to be equal to you, if not more. If, if, I'm, if I'm moving furniture, right, and I'm asking someone for help, for help, that person must be at least as strong as I am mm-hmm. or more. So Eve has corresponding strength to Adam to be a helper, right? Yes. And then, right, that's really good. Yeah. So, so yes, I know we said this is not a Bible study and, and, it's, and it's not, but it should be a little bit of a word study because yes. a lot of this conversation in Christian circles came from here. This whole idea of order and hierarchy and patriarchy is that misrepresentation of what happened in Genesis 3 as opposed to what happened in Genesis 2, right? So <laughs> the idea that man rules over, that be specific, that Adam rules over Eve is a curse on the relationship. Mm-hmm. God cursed the snake. God curses childbirth. Not the woman. God curses the earth, not the man. And then he curses their relationship. Eve, you're going to desire Adam. And some say you'll desire to master Adam. But definitely, that's debatable. But the other part isn't. The other part is, Adam, you will rule over her. You know, you will desire man, your husband, but, but he will rule over you so so it wasn't human, like that in genesis 2 right okay so what genesis, you're saying genesis, then Gen- hang on one second genesis 2 was talking about adam describing eve as flesh of my flesh bone oh, of no, my, my bones God. what does that mean but equal you're me you're me like mike yep. hey michael jackson you other uh, what is it oh it just had you're just another part of me <laughs> <laughs> well okay so but that so that in and of itself can be seen as a patriarchal idea. Like, why does she have to be another part of him? Okay. That question the, you don't have to take up with God because God, right? that's the way the game was set up. So, but, but, <laughs> but, so, there, but was, there was no alignment. There was no, there was no limits to what women can do. There was not, okay, you can't do this or you can't do that. That wasn't there in Genesis two. Yeah. So I think what can be very safely stated though, is that, is that the way the human relationships will play out after the fall is an inherent part of the curse. Yes. So, mm-hmm. because the next thing that came was what? Cain murdering his brother. Yeah. Yes. So, 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 ironically, so, so enough, human relationships were cursed yes. as, as one of many curses as a result of the fall. Exactly. Yeah. Ironically, the Hebrew word used in desire in Genesis 3.16 is found in Genesis 4.17 talking to, when God's talking to Cain that sin is going to be waiting mm, and it will I desire to come back. Wow. It's just, you know, anyway, same language. I just yeah. geek out over that kind of stuff. Yes. But, but don't miss for the listeners that I think all of us are in agreement that patriarchy, as we're talking about as we're defining it is the result of the fall. And it's a curse rather rather than a god-given an established god-given order because i and i'm not a theologian i just don't read that in in genesis 2 yeah yeah we read it in genesis 3 and as a side note about genesis 3 i think a lot of evangelicals 
start talking about the gospel from Genesis 2 as opposed to God's intent in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, we had a relationship with God because we sinned. That relationship is broken. The penalty for that, for that sin is death. But Jesus comes. He takes our place. He dies. Nothing about the resurrection. And now that we believe in God, now, we're, now that, that, that relationship is restored and we get to go to heaven. And in the meantime, we go out and make new disciples. Yes. For most evangelicals, that's the gospel, completely ignoring what happened in Genesis 1 and 2 and what we were supposed to do on this earth. Yeah. So I was going to say, when we're talking about the whole idea, you know, of the curse, you know, and that women you will desire for the man who will be your master, I think we need to remember, and I think it's really cool how in the New Testament, it says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so through the death of Christ, curses are broken, right? And so we no longer have to ascribe to... I don't know, the curse, you know, like, I feel like, and Andres, you know, like you talked about this a little bit, I think we can begin to aspire to God's initial order, where women are co-laborers with men, women partner with men, we're not inferior to men, we're not just sidekicks, we're co-laborers and partners with them. Oh, that's, that's beautifully stated. Yes, that's really good. And one more thing about that whole thing about Genesis 2, and, we, and we've talked about reconciliation. And I know that in, in lots, of way, it, lots of ways, it's a dirty word. But when we reread Genesis 2, we were reconciled to one another. Mm. Our job is mm. to reconcile back to Genesis 2 world yeah. and continue that story. That's, yes. that's what we're doing here on Earth. So anyway, I just, I just want to make that point. No, and that's, and that's a really good dovetail. So somebody shared with me something this weekend that I thought was very good. So um, there's a book by Lisa Sharon Harper, and it's called The Very Good Gospel. Have you ever heard of that book? Yeah, so I just heard about it recently, right? And so in it, she talks about her exposure to what she calls the theology of male dominance. So it's, it goes in line with what you were saying, Justine, about the assumed and theologized role of women. And so she says, so speaking about the theology of male dominance, she says, it is rooted in a stream of Christian theology that declares God's good intention for women is that they serve and follow men. Patriarchal interpretations of scripture fail to start at the beginning. They start after the fall in Genesis 3. As a result, they present observations of a fallen world as if the current state is in line with God's good intentions. So that's exactly what you're talking about, yes. Andres. About yes. right, that's exactly about okay. So we don't start in Genesis two; we start in Genesis three. We so, yeah. start in Genesis for everything in yes. evangelical everything. Yes. So, so let's talk about what. So, what kind of examples do we see? And I feel like we're already kind of we're having this conversation, right? But um, um, what other kind of examples do you see about toxic uh, patriarchy in the church? Yeah, we kind of kind of uh, been talking about this uh, when we started saying about how we're um, participant. Yes, in it. Um, and here's the here's the thing about that because you know we talk about Genesis two and Genesis three and and whatnot. And I was thinking about this like 
what is that world? What is that Genesis two world? When it comes to in like race, or how do we relate to, relate to one another? How does men and women relate to one another? Like, mm. I don't have that picture in my head. Mm-hmm. So it's almost, I mean, like I'm having a hard time because we're saying, how do we escape this? How do we escape toxic patriarch, uh, patriarchy? And I'm like, well, yeah. How do, <laughs> how do we escape that? <laughs> how do we escape it? Because <laughs> what model out there is out there? I mean, I know, I know there have been uh, groups of people that have been studied by sociologists that where you know, patriarchy is, is, is the, in, in, this, in this society uh, stature. It's not, it's not that way. Um, but I haven't seen it here. I haven't seen, I, I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. Know? You know, I do want to treat my wife and I want to treat all women in that, in that equal plane. Like you're not better than me. You know, it's like yeah. we, as Christians, we talk about the, the body, the church is the body and, and there's no competition between the brain and the heart. You know, I mean, without the brain, a heart is useless and vice versa, you know? So that, that's, that's the conversation I'm starting to have with me in researching for this for this episode. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's began before that a little bit, but it's that is, is, is man, you know, I got to question a lot of things um, about just how the game is set up and, you know, and it's a setup and it is a game. Yeah. That's good. Justine, what do you got? I came across the story of Jules Woodson. I don't know if you guys remember about this, but during the Me Too movement, she kind of shared that back in 1998, she had been sexually abused by a pastor whose name I'm just not going to say you guys can you, you know, like you guys mm-hmm. can do your own research and figure out. Um, so anyway, she received a lot of backlash, you know, and people were like, why would you expose a man of God? You know, like, why would you bring this up? You know, it's been 20 years since this happened. Why would you expose this now? This pastor, though, went to his church and he confessed. And guess what happened? He received a standing ovation. For his confession. What? About sexually, yep. About sexually assaulting and abusing a woman. And so I think even the ways in which we hold the different genders and sexes accountable, I think is very different. And that's a form of toxic patriarchy in the church where women are shamed, right? And we've heard this over and over again. I know women who have been in very toxic marriages and they were told to be quiet. Oh, the Lord does not love divorce. You need to be long suffering. You need to submit to your husband yeah. and you need to be quiet. Right. And I'm thinking, well, but she's been abused. You know what I mean? She's been abused. And now I'm not going to start talking about divorce, whether or not it's right, you know, because I'm just, you know, I'm just not going to go there. But like, I think as churches, we need to strive to protect women. And when women um, voice situations of abuse, or, um, or trauma, I, I, like, I think we need to start acknowledging those things. And I don't think the church has done the best job of that. Yeah. Well, and that is certainly the way that we treat. I mean, I have seen that, that specific example of 
like where you shouldn't get divorced or whatever. I've seen that play out a bunch of times. I have, you know, some, some, some people we were pretty close to where that was happening. And she even at one point in, in some counseling conversations, she even said that, man, I feel like I was lied to by the person who's now my husband because he presented himself as this. And this is her, I think her, from what I recall, her phrase, he presented himself as this spiritual juggernaut. And then we get married and, you know, he's controlling and dictatorial and repressive and, and I mean, it's just, it's just just all bad. Right. So yeah, I have seen several different examples of that. Um, I do want to share, like for me, the clearest example that I see in toxic patriarchy in the church outside of Genesis. So like there are these three passages that we use to bludgeon women with. One is Uh the Genesis piece. He said, "Uh oh, (laughs) yeah. So one is the Genesis piece. The second one is the Ephesians five piece about, about husband or about wives being subject to your husbands and everything. Never mind the fact that the passage starts with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it outlines a bunch of different relationships, but we only seem to grab that husbands submit to your or wives submit to your husband's thing and use it as a baseball bat to women. So the third one that I, that I hear a whole lot is this mythical unicorn called the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh Oh, so can I go there? (laughs) Let's go. Please do. Okay. So, so I'm going to make this quick, but but we got to go there because those, I mean, there are several different texts of scripture that we use. That to, has been so abused. Yes. It's women been have so, been hurt. I mean, the standard yes. that's been set up by that. Oh, anyway, sorry. Yes. Go ahead, man. I mean, right. So yeah, we use, we use that, the Proverbs 31 woman as like the very epitome of godly submission. Um, and you know, having her focus to be a godly and industrious wife and mother at home and all that. And and so, I mean, it's just been really, really, yeah, it's just, it's just all off the chain. Right. So I want for listeners, I want to, you know, I want to say clearly enough that the text does not support that perspective. It just doesn't. And again, it's a great example of how we have read culture into the text. So we've, we've read culture, patriarchy, and misogynistic values into the text of things that aren't really there, right? And so I'm going to try to not read the whole thing, but I really do think that, that we should read. So, so listeners who aren't familiar with the Bible understand this context in, or this, this, this thing in context. And people who are familiar with the Bible understand it in context, maybe for the first time for some people. So it starts with in Proverbs 31, it starts with the words of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. Okay. Now imagine, so, so this is too, so this text is, is best understood as something that is a, it's best understood as a descriptive text versus being a prescriptive text. It's describing what's, what's happening in a situation that has some teaching benefit, but It is not a prescriptive text like this is what you should do and should be and should and should strive to. Okay, this is a specific conversation between a mother and her young king son. Okay, 
and so and, and King Lemuel by like from scholars that it, it may be King Hezekiah, it may be it may be King Solomon, it may be uh, like a even a fictitious a fictitious person. So it's not maybe necessarily an actual King Lemuel. So it's an oracle, but. Imagine a mother is having this conversation. Think about the Black Panther. Okay. So think about the Black Panther and the Queen Mother talking to young T'Challa about the kind of the kind of woman that he should be, that she wants her son to be looking for. Which, by the way, he found in a Koye, but we won't go there. <laughs> so he said, and so she and so she says. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? And she says, do not give your strength to women or your ways to those who destroy kings. So this proverb is set up really with two main sections. The first section is how a king should behave. And the second section is um, the kind of partner that, that, that this king should be looking for. And there are several things in here that are unique to the Hebrew context in like 700 BC that aren't, that aren't applicable to us. So this is, according to scholars, this, this was written 700 years before Christ and before the common era. Lots of things have changed since then. That's 2,700 plus years ago, right? So, but what hasn't changed is parents talking to their children about the kind of people that they want for them as, as, as partners and mates. And also understand that Proverbs is a really interesting book. I know this is a tangent, but it's a really interesting book because it starts and ends with instructions from parents to their children. It starts with a father talking to his son and it ends with a mother talking to his, her son. Now, unfortunately we don't hear mothers talking to daughters in the Proverbs, but Parents talking to their kids is a theme of the Proverbs, and it's, how it, and it's how they bookend it. So to get back into it briefly, she talks about the first part of this is, okay, young king, there are some things I want you to make sure you keep in mind for how a king should operate and how a king should think about the world and people. And she says, don't give your strength to women or your ways to those who destroy kings. And, you know, it's probably best understood by saying, don't give your strength to women who really don't understand who you are and what the king is, should be and that kind of thing. It may be an allusion to promiscuous women or loose women, but I don't think we can go there with the text because it doesn't say that there. But there's something in that about her cautioning him about the kind of women that he should be associating with. Right. And then she says, it's not for kings to drink wine. Or for rulers to take strong drink. Lest they be that lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the yeah. rights of the afflicted. So good. Mm-hmm. So good. Remember, there's two sections. The first section are things the king should be thinking about. Now look at where this queen goes in her instruction to her, her young her young king's son. She says, Give the strong drink to the to those who are perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Because sometimes if you're on the, on the bottom rung of society, you need some stuff to, to, to distract yourself from the fact that you're on the bottom rung of society. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. She says, open your mouth for the mute. Mm-hmm. By the way, the first part of this mm-hmm. is all about justice. Right. Open mm-hmm. your mouth for the mute. Yeah. Open your mouth and judge righteously for the rights of all who are destitute and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This, young, this queen mother is exactly. breaking it down for her young king's son about the kind of person he is to be. And then here's who I want you to partner yourself with, young king's son. 
an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant and brings food from afar. It goes on and on and on, right? Um, But then it says, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her Merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands to the plow. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Mm-hmm. Go watch Black Panther again. Go watch the, the way that, that, that T'Challa right. and Okoye communicate with each other. Go watch the conversation they have as they're walking in the market. And overlay that with Proverbs. It's a phenomenal conversation. Mm. She says, she opens her hands to the poor, reaches out to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household and for all who are clothed in scarlet. And it goes on and on and on, right? Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And he says in his praise, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. He says, and the way, the way that it ends, charm is deceitful. And beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the city gate. Now, we could do a whole hour long or longer Bible study on just this, but I want, I want listeners, I want you to really understand that this passage has been used again as a baseball bat to create submissive, submissive and quote, godly women in the household of God. And that is far, far, far from what the text actually says. Okay. So this, this is not a baseball back to women. This, this talks about a queen mother to her son about his behavior, how he should operate as king and how, and, and how he should partner himself with someone who is his equal. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, oh, it's just so disheartening and disappointing how we've used uh, scripture specifically for the episode and for patriarchy and the conversations we've been having about race in, in general. And anyway, we're, it's just it's the, the need, a desire for us in our flesh to just, wanting to be on top who's on top this obsession who's on top who's at the bottom and all this other nonsense that's just god doesn't care god's not partial mm. <laughs> i mean like you say justine god's not fair yes <laughs> you know yes uh that, there's a, there is a partiality like we like you just mentioned i'm going to the to the poor and the oppressed but you know overall there's no jew no gentile no man yes. or woman you know, I, I'm a, it's Galatians, I said Galatians three over F, uh, Ephesians five, not, no, I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> diminish <laughs> Ephesians by no means. I don't want to be struck dead. <laughs> um, but is we've misused, I think Ephesians five, Ephesians five was used to justify slavery. It certainly was. It was in the slave Bible. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. <laughs> okay, so here's here's something else for you guys. Check this out. You mentioned um um like kind of I think you kind of alluded to the whole idea of partiality. 
think about it in this way. Patriarchy or toxic patriarchy. So I guess toxic patriarchy is a bit of a, um, uh, it's, it's a redundant term, <laughs> right? So patriarchy is actually just another sin of partiality as expressed in James chapter two. Yeah. Right. We are showing favoritism to men over women yeah. on a, on a church level and on a societal level. Mm-hmm. When it's not there. It's not there at all. It's nope. not there at all. Nope. Not not there at all. Yeah. Yeah. Another one, you know, and I know that we're trying to move on, but the other one that I hear a lot is Romans 14, um, I think, and it's like around verse 20, where like women are told, at least young single women, again, I don't know what goes on with older women, but I know for us young girls, we're told, um, hey, do not cause your brother to stumble, right? And this is typically in the form of maybe like how you wear your hair, you know, like how much makeup you put on, you know, and like your kinds of clothes, right? You know, like, do not cause your brother to stumble. First of all, you guys, that verse was in the context of food. Now, I think we can apply it. <laughs> right? Paul, Paul was talking about food. Like, if you read that chapter or that, right, right, he's talking about food. He's not talking about clothes, okay? And makeup and hair. Right. But, but I do think that, I think it goes both ways, right? I think men as well as women, like we need to carry ourselves in a way that, um, that does not cause the other person to stumble in quotes. And that said, I think men have enough self-control to not allow themselves to stumble. I don't think it's the responsibility of women. Okay. Right. To help you not stumble. And here is the thing though, when you think about, um, uh, sexual assault, spiritual abuse in the church, a lot of times these are women who were wearing a whole tent, you know, they were wearing uh-huh. a maxi dress and somehow men still stumble. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and, and the whole thought about that assumes that men are like, like that we are just these rapacious beasts. Exactly. Come on, man. Really? Oh, you Not can only do that, that, it actually assumes, it actually assumes that men are weak. It does. Exactly. Yes. You know, one of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Mm-hmm. Oh, men, since you don't have self-control, women, yeah. it's up to you to do everything possible. Exactly. So us men exactly. don't lose our control because we are unable to self-control. Exactly. Which, by the way, is the exact same reason women wear burqas in Islam. Oh. We, we won't even go off on, on that. Yeah. So, guys, it's I, I'm going to put that out there and let it sit. It's sad. It's sad. And you know what? Like, and I think um, women were actually guilty of shaming other women you know, for how they dress. Now, do I think that, especially if you're a believer and you're listening to this, like, I think there is a space for modesty, but I think ultimately for me, when I, when I think of my modesty, my modesty is for Christ, you know, and my modesty is because of who I am in Christ. It should never be because, oh, you know, I'm going to wear this and this because it's going to help my brother not stumble. Get him, sis, get him. Now there is a consideration to that, but it goes both ways. It does. You know what I mean? We should consider one another. Mm-hmm. We should take into account one another. Yes. But the way, like, well, anyway, like, like you're saying, Justine, it's just the way that's been taught for women and girls. Yes. It's just, it's just way different. And one more thing, like you mentioned the Islam thing that we won't get into. <laughs> Here's another little preview. Um, I mean, in Proverbs, 
what's the what's the gender quote unquote given to wisdom female (laughs) (laughs) yes uh god is all male Father, Son, no. Holy Spirit is all male, Which except is crazy. for the fact that a strong case can be made for the fact that that the Holy Spirit. There we go. Right, the Holy Spirit is something that that we we would ascribe to more feminine traits, which also, by the way, speaks to the whole gender binary thing, which we don't have time for to go, to go over this thing. episode. Yeah. So, yeah. but so so listeners understand that we know that that's there too. So, right. so yeah, that, you know, or, yeah, how do we tackle that at some point? It's it's. No, here's the last thing on that too. And we talked about it in Genesis, uh, the section on Genesis. So if, first of all, God makes uh, uh, us in his image, in the image of God, uh, he made a man and woman, right? Mm-hmm. So what is it about God that he's able to create woman in quote unquote, his, his image? image? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> We put ourselves in knots over this stuff. Yeah. There's something in the nature of God that, that what we would ascribe to as feminine. Yes. And then for some reason, we ascribe femininity as, as weakness, lesser than, as weaker than. Yeah. It's not good. there. It's just not there. So good. That's good. I mean, we can talk about this for so days. Good. All right. So it's that time again. We want to give, uh, you listeners, a moment to process all, all that we've discussed so far. <laughs> just let's give ourselves a little pause. Let's give ourselves a little breather. Uh, so this is the section where we just talk about something, a, a, a song, a piece of art, culture, a book, something that's feeding our spirit. And it's either inspiring us or giving us, giving us life. So Justine, what is something that's feeding your spirit. Okay, this one might surprise y'all, but during our last episode, Andres made the statement, and I might be a little off on this, but I want to try to quote you verbatim. Andres said, if it's not going to matter in heaven, it should not matter to us now. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that yeah. literally hit mm. me like a ton of bricks because I think that I have the habit, again, I am, Enneagram one. So resentment is a big one for me. And I think sometimes like I can find myself holding on to things that are not going to matter, you know, and even, even as we talk about toxic patriarchy as a woman, there are messages that I might have received that are not true and they're, they might not end up mattering in heaven, you know? Um, and so I am, I am learning to let go of stuff and I've really been thinking about the verse that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you. And there's, a, there's also another verse that says, if you seek the Lord, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. And I am just learning that, Justine, it is time to become undivided. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, like my human desires go away, but I am just learning to let go of stuff that, is not going to matter. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Um, so I think, so for me, 
There are, there are actually several things that are giving me life uh, this week, but I'll just share one of them. So, and I've already shared it to you guys. And so, and so I, I want listeners to hear this too. This is, I think, really good and encouraging. Um, so a buddy of mine, and a, a former uh, business associate, he hit me up in a DM last week. And so he wanted to thank us for the podcast and he wanted to give, give me a glimpse of what God has been doing in his life with respect to his racial awareness journey over the last few years. Okay. So, um, about four or five years ago, he and I had sat down together because he and his wife were talking about, and his wife said something to the effect of, you know, she was going to unfriend me because, you know, all of, all of my social media posts seem angry, you know, yeah. because maybe it was my eight coming out, yeah. I don't know. But she was like, hey, why is that doing so mad about something or this race or whatever she was saying? But um, so mm-hmm. his, his, his response, my buddy's response was, well, maybe we should just ask what's going on with him. Right. So it's awesome. Outrageous thought. Right. So we sat down like we had coffee or beer or something like that. But he wanted to just ask me that question. Okay. okay, So, bro, what's going on? Like, so so it seems like all your posts are angry or whatever, you know, like, so why are you mad or what's going on? So um, and I explained to him much of what we've been talking about on this podcast about the relationships that I've had with Christians and, you know, church leadership and just and, and white supremacy, you know, within the body of Christ and in American society overall, just kind of broke all that down. We had a great conversation, but, um, and at that point he kind of got what I was saying, but didn't quite see it. Right. So, so, but last week he told me that since that conversation four or five years ago, God has had him on a pretty wild ride about noticing how deeply embedded these things are in the church and how much of the false narrative that he believed without really even knowing it was there in himself. And so, so that, that conversation and the, and the, and the text that he sent me really gave me life. And so it also reminded me, honestly, that, you know, for me being like the ready fire aim, let's go get it and let's whatever. It reminded me that people change on their time right. and on God's time and on not on yeah. my time because I can be incredibly impatient. And so, and so that, that, whole, that whole text gave me life and was just pretty dope. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I'll keep it a little bit light and uh, relatively quick. For me this week, what's given me life is the report that Tyler Perry's a billionaire. Yo, I missed that. What? Yeah. Forbes report is reporting that he's a billionaire. Go um, ahead and get and, it, Tyler Perry. And it's, and it's, not, it's not the money part. And I'll, get, I'll, I'll get to that at the end. So for those who don't know, uh, Perry's an American actor, writer, producer, and director. He's better known for the, creating the, uh, the Medea character, which is a tough, older woman, kind of like a grandma type figure. It's the thing about Perry. Medea. See, okay. I'm going to get to that. That's the accent. He said Medea. Medea. (laughs) So, so Perry, he got a P, uh, P, no, he got a GED. Uh, He was molested when he was a kid. He was homeless. Um, And, okay, so here's the whole Medea and how you pronounce it and that kind of stuff. So that's terrible in his, in his youth and and whatnot is, but Think about where he came from and where he is. Not again, not from a financial thing. It's just the journey. Because um, you have to have a certain mindset to be a millionaire. I just, you know, if a billion dollars falls on my lap, I wouldn't know what to do with it. 
Yeah. Anyway, here's the thing about him, though, and I've always said this: I hate his content. <laughs> I, I, I think his characters are two dimensional. His stories are two dimensional. What he did in the movie Alex Cross, I hate him for because <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I, mean, um, I don't like any of his series on television. Um, but here's the thing, though. Seriously, I cannot hate his hustle. Right. You know what I mean? It's undeniable. Comedian uh, Steve Martin once said, uh, be so good that they can't deny you. And Tyler Perry is undeniable. You don't, you don't have what he's had. Uh, he changed his family tree in one generation. What he's got today wasn't available to him 100 years ago. Yes, that's you know. So, you know, just hope is giving me life. That's the thing about Tyler Perry, that you, that, that you can have that story in this country, in spite of all the conversations we're having, that's available. Yes. And, and, and I'm glad you said in spite of, because a lot of people will, will, will see examples of successful people of color and go, wait a minute, see, look, there's no racism because Tyler Perry made it, Oprah made it, Michael Jordan made it, right? Instead of thinking about the, you know, you've got to be exceptional to get you know, like, like you got to be like paying the, paying the black tax or like paying the woman tax. Like you got to be two or three times as good to get half as much. Now here's the thing though, with Perry to it, he would admit to this. He was trying to play the Hollywood game. Hollywood didn't let him in. He made his own table. Yes. So that's also part of his story. Yes. He made his own table. He yes. made his own rules and he succeeded playing his game. Yes. Now he paid attention to the, to other people's game. But he won on his, on his, uh, he built his own table, uh, his own way of thinking. Yeah. He built his own yeah. table. So that's good. That's, that's good. Also remember that in the, in the conversation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's no, very that good. was good. That was very good. Okay. So yeah, let's get back into it. So that the line of notes was really good. And I appreciate everything that, that, that the both of you said and, um, listeners. Yeah, this is, this is another kind of jam packed episode with a really kind of weighty theme. Um, and so we, we've been discussing what toxic patriarchy in the church is and examples of that in our, in our experiences. So, but we're going to also kind of shift gears and talk about um, some ways that you can work as listeners, even in ourselves, that ways that we can work to uproot toxic patriarchy. Yeah. So actually you guys, before we continue, I am curious, Abdul and Andres, as men who are also believers and have spent quite a significant amount of time in Christian spaces, in what ways have you been complicit with toxic masculinity and toxic patriarchy? <laughs> All right. So for me, um, in thinking about this, is when I, when I got married, I, I brought it into marriage. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you know, the whole... Last name. I'm the head of the of the head of the home, and I have the last word. Uh, I'm the one who provides. I'm the one who protects. Mm. Listen to me. Uh, and in a way, we both kind of did because we kind of both walk in with that expectation, and we kind of hinted around that in in our conversation. Preach. Um, so we've had patriarchal tendencies in our home, mm. uh, and like I also mentioned. So what does that look like? What is that? How do we build a Genesis two home as opposed to a Genesis three home? Well, that comes good. to marriage. 
when it comes to the raising of our children, mm. um, you know, because also Ephesians five been used on 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 how to rear children and that expectation and whatnot. And again, <laughs> that could be a tangent on its own. My goodness, this this episode. So that's this, this, this is the onion episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. This part three could have had three parts of its own. Anyway, uh, so for for me, for me, uh, I've participated just how I came into marriage. Um, and that's something mm-hmm. to, to decolonize and deconstruct and whatever term you want to use. Uh, as, as once again, you go back into scripture and, and you read what's there and as opposed to what's not there, what's, what's implied. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, hopefully a short way. I hope it wasn't convoluted way uh, to answering your question, Justine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I would say, so in a general sense, I have, I have participated in toxic patriarchy, um, maybe just by force of culture, maybe how I was raised or some of those kind of things. Um, but I also don't want that to be the scapegoat, right? Because I actively walk into some of this too, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, so, so I was taught, yeah. for example, either actively or passively, um, that man, man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of man. Mm. So think about the toxicity in that, in that worldview. And so, um, but even though I was taught that and to some extent participated in that and, and, and believed it to some extent, that teaching was also kind of, kind of ward in my spirit, you know? Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married to a strong and immensely capable woman, you know, and, you know, she was raised by a single mother who, and, and, um, two strong, capable and brilliant women themselves. And so my sisters and my daughter are fierce and capable women. And my mother and my aunts are easily the strongest women as some of the strongest people that I know. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, period. (laughs) And so even, Mm -hmm. and I know just as friends, present company included, (laughs) I know several very accomplished and brilliant women. And so, you know, to boot, even in most of the music I listen to, listen to, I actually think women produce better art. Oh my God. Agreed. Yes. I prefer you know, female artist than male artist. Yes. So, I mean, again, that's it's another small, whole episode but, you know, yeah. by itself. So, mm-hmm. but, but even with all of that, even with all that, I have fallen prey to some gender roles and gender stereotypes. And so, um, oddly enough, I feel like that was worse when I was in the evangelical movement. You know, so even though I had some of that going into my marriage, you know, um, being a young adult before I got married and kind of developing, developing my own worldview, mm-hmm. that was to some extent being rooted out. And just because of the spaces that I was in, you know, um, just with 
with, you know, friends who were given like, like, like LGBTQ friends, you know, a lot of friends, you know, who were, who were, who were uh, feminists and not to use that term pejoratively at all, but just mm-hmm. learning from different, different people's perspective and different people's lived experiences that was beginning to be uprooted in, in, in my, in my heart, in my life. And then, you know, I become a Christian at like 26, 27 and all that stuff floods back in because that's the force of the culture in that, in that movement. And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, like that, that wasn't, that wasn't my wife's and I's relationship, like I said, before we were, we were married and before accepting Christ. But um, I even saw, for example, I even saw and watched the theology of male supremacy turn my wife into something that she was never created to be by God, you know? And so, um, like we bounced just in our own kind of journey from in this area, some profound unhealthiness, some trauma, like the racism, the toxic patriarchy in the evangelical church, all that. But once we bounce out of that stuff, I actually have seen the light come back into my wife's eyes. And I feel like the one I, I got, I got the woman I married back like this, this, this strong, fierce, independent, savvy, you know, great heart woman. And so equal, equal bingo, I, a partner, right? Yeah. Yeah. A partnership. So, yes. Yes. And so in, I'd say in the last five years, we've behaved more as co-equal partners than we have in the previous 15. Yeah. And so just, and just a couple of more things I think about that, like we have had, so she and I have had some great talks about, um, even though I'm not like a knuckle dragging caveman, <laughs> you know, she still sees areas in my life where I display toxic masculinity and, and, and toxic patriarchy. And so that said, even as a girl dad, you know, my oldest daughter is in her mid twenties and she's married. Even as a girl dad, those are things that we have both tried very hard to be on the lookout for, for her and teaching her and training her when choosing a partner. You know, so that was also very important to me that she didn't walk into this, this relationship as a, as a, as a subservient woman. You know, it, it, this was, okay, baby girl, you're still your mother and your father's daughter. So whatever silliness is going to happen, it ain't that kind of party, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, man, and the last one that I'll give as an example of toxic patriarchy is I used to feel some kind of way about even using the word partner. You know, because I used to think it sounded way too PC. You know, I mean, I thought it, it, it sounded way too PC. It sounded way too hippie. And I mean, you know, like you guys know, Andres probably knows more than you, Jay, but I, I'm, I'm a fairly conservative dude in many respects. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you know, at some point, um, again, I started doing kind of some, some work in my own heart, my own life and uprooting, you know, that particular trash bag from my, you know, from my mentality and my psyche. But, um, you know, now when I think about that term partner, I think about it in its intended meaning, you know, not, not as, well, Hey, here comes these, you know, the, here come the hippies and here come the feminists all changing language around and giving it new meaning. And we're not going to say husband because it's patriarchal. We're going to say partner or, you know, I used to, I used to think really negatively about that kind of stuff. But when I think about what it actually means now, yes. What? Yes. Yeah. Partner. What's, what's a better partner. word? Partner. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Bingo. Yes, my what's wife a better is my word? partner. Right. Right. <laughs> Full not, stop. And, and not to put all your uh, dirty laundry out. 
you used to call your house a dictatorship. Oh, okay. <laughs> this has to be in the podcast, Abdul. Okay. Please, this has to be in the podcast. <laughs> so, so, uh, so we can't edit this part out? <laughs> no. Okay. And, okay, so now jokingly, yeah. Oh, actually, no, not jokingly. I got, I got part of that concept from the, toxic, the, the toxicity of church. And, mm-hmm. there, and there is there's a, there's a, this really conservative pastor guy and his wife, you know, um, they, wrote, they wrote these series of books, Federal Husband and that kind of thing. And, so, and, and, he, and he talks about the whole idea of federal theology and the whole idea of, of husbands being the benevolent dictator of their household. And I absorb that garbage. I'm telling you, I'm, evangelicalism is a mind beep. We're not even going to say it. You know, it just, it gets you. But, um, and then, and then I would joke like about my kids, you know, after we recover from that kind of stuff, the whole Michael, the whole Chris, Chris Tucker thing and Michael in rush hour, you know, the, um, I'm the president, I'm the emperor, I'm the king. Oh, right. I'm Michael yeah. Jackson and you Tito. You're Tito. <laughs> You know, yeah. but yeah, yeah, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there, there's, we bring all there's, of that in. Uh, we bring all that in. All of it. All of yes. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, can I, can I just add something? And this might not make it into the podcast, but I think, you know, and in a lot of my circles, I am hearing young, amazing women who are not married and they're saying, where are all the good men? You know, where are all the good men? Where do they go? Mm. Right. And I don't know if men are asking the same question. But I think, I think it's because a lot of times we look at marriages and we see that and I'm like, do, do I want to get in a situation where I will be dominated over? Absolutely not. You know what I mean? So, and so I also feel like, which is why, like, I think it's so helpful for, for single people to hang out with people that are married and actually see what a good, healthy marriage should look like. Mm-hmm. Because, again, depending on your background and your evangelical background as well, like, you can imbibe this very toxic image. And I think there are women who are in relationships where they're being abused, but they're like, oh, this is, this is God. This is how it is. This yeah. is, how, this is how, it how it's supposed to be. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so hopefully this this episode has helped people yeah. uh, realize uh, that that's just not true. And again, like we've mentioned, or I've mentioned for our uh, uh, brothers and sisters who are not of the Christian tr- tradition, mm-hmm. that there's a lot to criticize uh, Christianity for, but it's it's the misinterpretation of what's in the text right. <laughs> that should get fair criticism as opposed to what's in the actual text right. uh yeah hermeneutics matters <laughs> yes it, oh, all gosh, hermeneutics it matter yes <laughs> right yes so to get into ways we can work to uproot toxic patriarchy justine and abdul uh what do y'all have to say about that so justine why don't you go first Um, So I would say, and again, we're talking about this in the context of the church and Christianity. I would say the first thing is you need to promote female leaders, both in the home and the church, right? Um, So I think in Christian spaces, we need to begin to see women on the pulpit. I don't want to go into the conversation of, oh, should you have female pastors or not? Because, but anyway, I think you need to begin to promote female leadership, Yes. right? And make sure that you are allowing women to inform the very big decisions that you make as a church, 
right? Um, and this is both in the church and the home. And do not tout their leadership as being inferior to that of men, right? So again, female leadership is good leadership. It's awesome leadership. Um, it's not inferior. It's not kind of like a sidekick to male leadership. Then the other thing that I would say is every church should strive to ensure that their four walls are the safest places for women. So as a church, you should make it your mission that this church will be a safe space for women. Right? So if a woman is being abused, we will do whatever it takes to rectify that. And that will entail holding a lot of your male leaders accountable. A lot of the husbands in your churches accountable, right? A lot of the Bible study leaders accountable, right? So like we need to have some accountability. Then um, the last thing that I would say is teach men to honor and respect women and not objectify them and teach women what good, healthy relationships with men look like. And this could be in the context of marriage, dating and courtship and also friendship, right? I think, I think we need to empower, especially our youth to know what that looks like um, in terms of how, you know, like, what would Jesus do? You know, so like, what, like, like, how would Jesus treat a woman in 2020? How would he pursue a woman in 2020? Like, I feel like that has got to be the standard. Then just one more thing. I think parents, and Abdul mentioned this, I think parents, you play a big role, right? Like you play a big role in teaching your sons and your daughters um, what healthy masculinity looks like. And I know for me, the reason I will not accept any nonsense in relationships mm. is because my mother has taught me what I deserve, right? And likewise, my mother has taught my brother what it looks like to pursue women in a manner that is healthy and respectful and honorable. Yes. Yes, 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 and yes. Mm. Yeah, that's really good stuff. Um, I've got, I've got a few as well. Uh, so, the, I think the first one that I would say, you know, so I'm, I'm, admittedly, I'm more in the, I would say the beginning ish, maybe intermediate. I don't know. I have to ask my wife if that's true, but uh, in the, more, more in the beginning phases of doing my own work in this area. So, but the first thing that I would say is. So not, okay, so right now there's a whole big thing about believe women, you know, when it comes to sexual assault and that kind of thing. So I don't mean that, but what I do mean is that listen to the women in your orbit, mm -hmm. you know, so, so men, fellas, brothers, dudes, listen to the women in your orbit, you know, um, so just like we talked about decolonizing your theology racially. You know, another one would be do the do the work of approaching the scriptures with fresh eyes and discover the power, the contribution, the faith, the leadership, the equality of of women just in general and in the scriptures. Like Justine, you broke that way down beautifully in, in, in the beginning of the episode about the women in scripture. That was that was amazing. Um, and I agree with you. Sit sit under women teachers. And really take in how God has gifted them and how they interact with the word of God. 
It's why diversity and equity and inclusion and representation matters because the more people's perspective you get, the richer the, the, richer the text becomes and the richer the, 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 the Christian life and Christian experience becomes. Um, if you hear the term, and this was a thing that, that I, I had to do business with in myself. If you hear the term pastor and a woman's name follows it and you feel some type of way, Pay attention to your body about that and, and ask yourself why you feel that way and what are those feelings of implicit bias or explicit bias that are coming up in your, in your life around the issue of women in leadership. Like do some work with, like do some business with yourself on that. Um, and also, a lot of these probably are just a rehash of what you said, Justine, but parents, yeah, as parents, we need to be extremely mindful of the differences with which we raise our children. And so, you know, are those differences gendered? Are, are they age or developmentally appropriate? Like, do they reinforce toxicity, right? Um, and understand that, for example, gender differences, and I may get some pushback on this, but gender differences aren't inherently negative or bad. You know, so, so I'm going to teach my daughter, for example, about the physical safety of her body when she's in certain spaces. Yeah. I'm going to teach her that in a different way than I'm going to teach my sons that. Right. Um, uh, I would say, ask the women in your life. And this is for men. I feel, like, I feel like all of my have to do with men. But ask the women in your life how they view you in this area. And be willing to hear the brutal truth. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we're going to say, the same, the same things that we would say to people of European descent about the race conversation, there's a very, there's a very easy overlay in this conversation about gender. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, ask, ask the women in your life, hey, how do you see me in the area of patriarchy and toxicity or whatever? And don't. Don't try to sidestep or bounce out of it. Just sit there and hear it and let it sit and, and figure out how to do something about it, right? Um, I'd say examine your influences. Are your influences predominantly male or female? Are they balanced? Are you listening? I would even add, you know, how are you thinking about loving your neighbor as yourself? So in that, I would think about not just gendered balance as far as male, as far as male and female, Think about the influences you have or lack thereof in your life of non-binary folks and LGBTQIA plus folks. And, and we really got to do some business about that in, in an episode too. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and understand, this is the last one that I have, understand that, for example, the tax, I mentioned it before, the tax women have to pay in certain spaces, right? So it's a lot like, again, the black tax where, where you know, like, so for every intersection is, is an order of magnitude. So yeah. instead of just working as hard as a guy to get something, you know, if you're a woman, you got to work twice as hard. If you're a black woman, you got to work three times as hard. If you're, you know, black and queer or, or whatever, you got to work four times as hard, right? So there's all those different things, right? And so like an income alone, women are still what? Comparative, with, with comparative education and experience, women make about what? Cents. 81 cents for every dollar, dollar that a man makes. Yes. And that's for a probably woman, white women. 
lingo mm. because for a black woman, it's somewhere. I, I feel like, and, and we'll put the actual stat in the show notes, but I feel like it was what I read was 66 cents on the dollar. Oh, wow. So if you're, so if you're a black woman, you make somewhere like 66 cents on a dollar for every dollar that a white man makes or a man makes. So, but again, we'll put the actual stat in the show notes, but the point being there is if, is if women in general, white women make 81 cents of the dollar, black women make less. Like that's yeah. just not a, an argument that's that's a real thing so i think though those are all the things that people can do you know this from what i have here in some ways to uproot their toxic patriarchy or their patriarchy mm-hmm. for me and um i'll echo what abdul saying in that i'm also learning about this issue quote unquote myself so there's a lot of learning that I need to do myself and I'm willing to do that process. And I agree. I, I think the mechanics of decolonizing your theology when it comes to race is the same as when it comes to patriarchy and what we got to undo and what we got to learn and that we got to sit with the emotions that come up. Yes. Uh, when, when certain things that we as men don't like one thing, that I was thinking about is my daughter is going to be four. And I know if based on studies, I know that she already knows because of what we've done and what's been on TV and whatnot society, that men are better than women. I'm pretty sure that she already has gotten that message Mm. four years Uh old, right? We didn't mean to do it. We didn't intend to do it. But that is how insidious it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just like yeah. research says that by four and five years old, so my two youngest kids already know or, been, or have gotten the message that white is better than. Mm. You know what I mean? So there's a lot for me to do. <laughs> there's a lot of work for me to do. Mm. Uh, and basically one of those things is just, we have to give up the idea of hierarchy. We have to give mm-hmm. up the idea of partisanship or par- partiality and mm-hmm. partisanship, but that's another subject. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, partiality that one is better than that's, it's just, that's just not in the, in the scripture. Um, yeah. And just, just, just be careful about the language that we're using. Yeah as we express our thoughts about how things quote unquote are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'll just keep that, keep that short. If, if, so basically to uproot it, just keep in mind this, someone has to be on top and some, which means that somebody else needs to be at the bottom. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just not there. Yeah. Yes. That's good. So good. So good. And I'm just going to add one real quick because of what Abdul said. I also think not only should you be looking at the women in your orbit, but also the men in your orbit. If you have, so I'm going to share something that I went through and I hope the person who did this to me never listens to this podcast anyway. um, So I was in a situation where someone pursued me for close to a year and he was convinced that I was his wife and he would stop at literally nothing to make sure that I married him. Now I knew I wasn't his wife. And I remember thinking, why are your friends letting you do this? 
Why are they letting you bombard me with texts and call me all the time and Mm. send me letters when I have made it very clear that I am not interested in you? So a lot of boundaries were crossed and there was a lot of abuse happening. And you guys, this was in the church. Wow. This was in the church. And here's the thing. I have had conversations with other women who you both know, with other women my age, also single, and they have gone through the same thing with young men. So there seems to be a trend going on here. And I think as, 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 as male believers, you need to begin to hold your brothers accountable and say, bro, she has told you she's not interested. Move on. Back up, dog. Stop. Like yeah. this is like you are crossing a lot of boundaries. And so I think there has got to be a space for accountability. And we talked about this earlier. Maybe we did discipleship, you know, like mm-hmm. I think I like I really mm-hmm. think we need to 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 disciple men. What does healthy masculinity look like? Because in the kingdom, aggression is not healthy masculinity. Right. That's Aggressively good. pursuing a woman when she has told, you no, Jesus would not do that. That's really good. Thank you for that. Mm. Yeah, I'm um, I'm speechless. Which is bad for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, this so is, she's yeah. she's dropping mics, she's dropping jewels, she's dropping bombs, she's working the ribs, she's y'all, getting I'm she's telling just you getting like, it. Y'all, when I tell you, like just sit down with the singles. So Andres, like you go to a pretty big church, and I am sure that the single people in your church have gone through some stuff because it's real. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So again, listeners, this, this is why we say welcome to our virtual living room, because these, these are literally the conversations that we have when we're together. Like we just, we just get it in and just, yeah, this is, this is, this is in Andres's or my backyard over beers and whatever, or just hanging out. This is how we do. Yeah. Speaking of, of one more thing. And before we start landing this plane, (laughs) yes, hopefully we're landing this plane. (laughs) <laughs> we're landing the before it just runs out of gas and just <laughs> falls out of the sky. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, before we got married, you know, uh, my now wife would just talk about single womanhood. You know, uh, she was a single mom, so she was the head of her home. Mm. You know, and she wasn't included in some discussions with the quote unquote. Heads of household. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're right. I, mean, I remember those conversations. I hate You're that. absolutely right. I, I just remember this, and I hate that we're leaving this. Uh, I'm, I'm just reminded of this at the end of the episode. But oh, yeah. you know, another issue for single women mm. is how is that hold head of household within church? She's not. Mm. She she's, she wasn't a widow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which there's some instructions yes. for widows. Um, so anyway, that's just another nugget, uh, to put in your ear to mm-hmm. consider, you know, not just single women, single moms Yeah. Yes. in the church. So good. Yes. So guys, as we, as we begin the, to, to wrap this up, like Andre said, land the plane. Um, I do want to ask y'all, so what is one action? that you all would like listeners to take to uproot unhealthy and just outright toxic 
patriarchy in the church. I mean, now I got to stop saying, so since we've established that toxic patriarchy is a, is a redundant term, I got, I got to drop the toxic part. <laughs> so, right. so let's just say what's one, what's one action you'd like listeners to take to uproot unhealthy and unhealthy and outright uh, patriarchy. Hmm. We've kind of already gone over this, but I would say, I think for both women and men, I think we need to, to rethink what informs our view of women and men, right? So even in the church, what kind of theology informs how we view women? You know, like, why are we so prone to think of women just as creatures who were made to be married and have kids, right? And then we now begin to, we now need to begin to unlearn that and get the broader picture, the broader story of what God says about women. Then to women, I would, I would, regardless of where you are in life, you know, if you're a high schooler, if you are in college, if you are a young adult like me, if you're a single married, whatever the case is, if you don't even desire to be married, I want us to know that ultimately our identity is found in Christ and in God. Isaiah 54 of us five says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord almighty is his name. And this applies to anyone, whether or not you're married. And so our identity is in us being the bride of Christ, right? It's not in you being married, have, you know, like having a ring on your finger or I don't know, being this Proverbs 31 woman that Abdul talked about. Then lastly, again, I just want to repeat to men, hold yourself accountable and hold your brothers accountable. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, for me is, uh, yeah, again, that's just, that was just, that was just amazing. Um, let's give up this need for power. Okay. That's in the race conversation. That's in the gender conversation. Uh, Christianity is way bigger than, than this. This, I mean, who's on top, who's on the bottom. Uh, again, reminded of, of the disciples talking to Jesus about, you know, hey, who's going to be uh, on your right side, who's going to be on your left side, and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, we're so concerned with who's on top, which means somebody's at the bottom. It's this consequence of the fall. We're just obsessed with it. Genesis 2, everybody. Genesis 1 and 2. Let's go back to that. And we just, <laughs> just stay there. Just, just stay there and dance just, there. <laughs> just, you know I mean? just hold that move right there. <laughs> right. Um, See, now you got to put a reference to that in the show notes. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, and here's the thing. Actually follow the meek Jesus. He's, he'll lead you. He, you'll be all right. Actually follow the meek Jesus, and you'll be all right. So, real talk on that one. There are some dudes who will not like you just said that. Uh, that's why I said it. And... And real talk, there are some women who will not like you just said that because there, there's, I don't want no weak man child. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, so one, I guess the thing for me would also, again, be kind of a call to action for, for my brother. So men in general, as well as my brothers in the faith and my kinsmen in the flesh, my other, you know, my, my, my black and African, African-American and brothers of the diaspora. Um, 
I would say, examine how you have been complicit in perpetuating this toxicity to your wives, your female friends, your sisters, your daughters, and maybe even your mothers. Um, and I would say, be willing to lament and have your heart broken over what we have done to the women in our lives and or what we have tried to do and i would say acknowledge you know again like james 2 kind of thing acknowledge how you have shown the sin of partiality toward men and against women and this is all part of one thing but um and then repent and ask forgiveness to those close to you and be willing to listen to them about how you have both been willingly and unwitting accomplices against them. Yeah. Um, and then as part of that work, then just do the work. You know, we had an episode on, on performative versus authentic allyship, right? So mm -hmm. in this way also, don't call yourself an ally to women, but go do the work of an ally and continue to get better at recognizing this patriarchy and this toxicity and get better at calling it out when you see it. So recognize it in yourself and call it out when you see it. So that's, that's what I would, what I would add in there. Um, so Justine, I do have one wrap up question specifically for you. Okay. So I know that you don't speak for all women, right? Or for all black women or for all Kenyan women. So just for you as my friend, as my sister, what advice would you give us, Andres and I, and my men listeners? So what advice would you give us or our non-female listeners about how to uproot patriarchy? In the church. So, so not just in the church, but so, so like you've given some, but if you're having a conversation, okay, so here's what I think y'all should do. Hmm. Would that be different than what you said before? Or you have anything else in that? You know, I think when you say specifically for, for you and Andres, like, I think it makes it a little more personal versus just, you know, like vague and out there. I would say, honestly, like, be very intentional about centering women's voices in your lives, you know? So even as you're looking at podcasts, right? Um, find podcasts that are being ran by women, you know, visit churches where they have a female pastor, you know, um, on the Sunday that she's maybe going to be preaching or read books by women. You know what I mean? Because, because I really think, you know, and we talked about this when we talked about decolonizing our theology, something happens to you when you begin to get the other person's perspective. Yeah. Right. You know, like it seriously, you know, like it changes, um, it changes you, but it also challenges maybe some of the ways in which you have believed that women's leadership or their style of teaching is inferior, maybe to that of men. So I think Maybe even just saying, hey, you know what, for like the rest of this year, I am going to read out of out of the 20 books that I want to read, 18 of those are going to be by female authors. You know what I mean? Like just or just say, hey, you know what, I want to discover 10 podcasts this year because of COVID, you know, quarantine life. 
out of out of those 10 podcasts, did I say 10? Is that 18? Out of the 18 podcasts, three quarters of those are going to be by women because I need to intentionally seek out female voices. That's good. That's really good. Thank you for that. All right. Well, listeners, that does it for us for now. And we want to thank you for sticking in on this extended episode. And yeah, there was just a lot here that we really wanted you to hear. And we, we hope that you got some, some value and benefit from it. Um, as always, if, if you like the show and you like the content, if you're encouraged or challenged by it, please rate the podcast, subscribe, share, and most importantly, drop us a review that helps folks find us and helps, it helps us find them. And it helps us grow the the community because, you know, we can always use more soldiers. Also, if you have questions about anything we cover in the podcast, um, suggested episode ideas, or just want to reach out, become a member of our community on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian soldier. That's S-O-U-L-J-A-H. Or email us at hello at Christian soldier.com. So thanks again for listening. I'm Abdullah. I'm Andres. Justine. And until next time, y'all, keep the faith. Peace. Paz. Amani. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. The theme song is The Ace by Ballpoint. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development.